Hi, we're the Boots family, and we would like to share a devotional reading, which express how God has been working in our hearts during the past few weeks. Sports, school, work, missions, travel, ministry, church, recreation, and the list goes on. These are parts of our everyday lives we all took for granted. Until God used a global pandemic to strip them all away. Suddenly, we found ourselves empty and lost feeling like a victim of a natural disaster, in shock and drifting, having lost all of our bearings. The novel coronavirus pandemic and resulting governmental response drastically altering our routines did not cause the state of our hearts, but the pandemic merely exposed the state of our hearts. Anxiety and worry, idolatry, fear, discontent, pride, lust. God has revealed these sins very deep within our hearts, so comfortable are we with them that we didn't even realize they were there. But God, being rich in mercy, used his tool, the novel coronavirus, to show us our need for repentance. Only he satisfies. As recorded in Matthew 6, verses 31 to 34, Jesus said, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. <clears throat> And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And that's our dog. <laughs> Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evidence to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, regards your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. Be assured that the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, in your faith lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom to guide him through a decision or circumstance, he is to ask of our benevolent God who gives us, who gives to everyone generously and without rebuke or blame, and it will be given to him. But he must ask for wisdom and faith without doubting God's willingness to help. For the one who doubts is like a billowing surge of the sea that is blown about and tossed by the wind. For such a person ought not to think or expect that he will receive anything at all from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable and restless in all his ways, in everything he thinks, feels, or decides. James 1, verses 2 through 8, Amplified. <clears throat> I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Psalm, 1, Psalm 18, verse 1 through 3, New King James Version. God is a jealous God. He wants our whole heart. How kind and merciful he is to give us this pandemic, an opportunity to cleanse our hearts. Let us not waste this precious time 
but use it for God's glory. Thanks for joining us today, along with our dog, Strider. <laughs> and I want to bring you back to the main point of what we discussed in um, on Good Friday in Psalm 22. And the point being this. The Son of God was knowingly forsaken by God. We saw that in the first few uh, verses. But being put to death by evils of all men, yet Jesus remained fully confident in God's faithfulness to deliver him. And now today we see in the end of Psalm 22 that God did it. He did. And that's why we have an unshakable faith. This morning I want us to look at the idea of an unshakable Savior. A Savior that wasn't shaken by his circumstances. A Savior that wasn't shaken by sin. A Savior that wasn't shaken by the world. And the results we see our God's glorious salvation for us. There's a theme word that I would like you uh, to focus on this morning. It's kind of the result, the combination of Christ's death, burial, and now his resurrection. And that word is this, propitiation. It's found in Romans chapter 3. It's found in 1 John. It's found in a few other places. Most translators do not translate that word out, and many of you would say, well, that's a, a big theological word. I don't need to understand it. And I would say, no, we definitely need to understand it. Because the result of Christ's victory is the propitiation of our souls. The reason that it isn't translated is because of the immensity of what the word really means. And, and the more we try to change the word, we dilute the emphasis and the grandeur and the glory that God receives because of this word. This word simply means this. A sacrifice that satisfies, let me say that again, a sacrifice that satisfies all the holy demands of God's justice. And he makes peace or he appeases God's wrath. Jesus is our propitiation because he is that sacrifice that satisfies all the holy demands that come from God who is holy and just. And he makes peace or he appeases all of God's wrath. Jesus becomes our peace. And that is a big emphasis. In the scripture, the greatest of all dilemmas is set before us. And that's what propitiation answers. And that is this. God is righteous, therefore he must act accordingly to the strictest rules of justice. Because God is holy, he is just. Acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty. So he has to act righteously when he acquits or he condemns, he has to do everything exactly holy and perfect, right. 
If he pardons the guilty and does not punish every infraction of the law and every act of disobedience, then he is unjust. However, if he does act with justice towards every man and gives to every man exactly what he deserves, then all men will be condemned. So there's the dilemma. This brings us to this great dilemma and this question that is answered in Scripture, and that is this. How can God, who is holy and just, and yet, how can a holy and just God show mercy to those who ought to be condemned? Spoken by the, uh, the Apostle Paul in, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 26, it says, How can God be just, be just and be the justifier of, of sinful men? The answer to these questions is found in this word, propitiation, as it relates to the good news of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. The same God who in righteousness condemns the wicked became man and died in the place of wickedness of the wicked. God did not ignore, forego, prevent the demands of his justice in order to justify all of our sin, all of our wickedness, but he satisfied the demands of divine justice against them in, by appeasing his own wrath through the suffering and death of himself on the cross. That is amazing as we proclaim the good news that we have peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ Jesus is our propitiation and that his sacrifice has made it possible for a holy and just God to be merciful towards us and pardon our offenses against him. If you're at home and you've prepared for communion, this is how we're going to do it. I'd like for you to pass out both the bread and the blood during this time. And, and uh, parents, great time to spend time with your kids talking about this idea of propitiation of what God has done for us. He didn't just wipe our slate clean, although he, he in a legal sense, paid for our sin, but he, it's more than that. He satisfied every demand that stood against us and he appeased and brought us peace from God's wrath. So as you're passing out the bread and the juice that, that symbolizes uh, his, um, the covering of our sin, as we looked at in Psalm 22, that Jesus was crushed and he called himself the worm and, and that was used to dye red the coverings that went over the tabernacle to separate God's presence from the people of Israel. Now, uh, we have Jesus Christ crushed, crucified, buried, and rose again, and his blood now covers us that we might have fellowship with God. So the bread that is simply the bread of life, Jesus called himself. He says, I am 
not only the way, the truth, and the life, but he said, I am the bread of life. He is the bread that gives us life. Our, the food of this world, the things of this world do not give us life. And so as we partake of the bread, it's the symbol of the body to do in remembrance of him, that he gave himself for us. Not only that, the blood which covers our sin, it appeases God's holy wrath, is a way for us to remember of what God has done for us. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to read Romans chapter 3 that talks about what God has done for us as we talk about taking our communion with God, fellowshipping with God in remembrance, praising God. This is an act of praise. So I'm going to pray and then read, and then um, I'll give you uh, a, a heads up on when we will partake together. So as I, as I read, I would encourage you to just keep your heads bowed. Just prepare your heart for confession for fellowship with God, to really be in communion with God. Not just take the, the bread and the cup and just take it and be done. I did my, my religious duty. But may you realize what God has done because he is your propitiation. All that he did, may it well up within you the joy that, of what God has done. So let's bow and remain bowed and as I read the scripture to you after I pray. Let's pray. Lord, this is amazing to fathom your wisdom that goes beyond any wisdom known to the world. Thank you that in your infinite wisdom, you solved the greatest dilemma. You are wise. Lord, you are just. You are holy. You are magnificent in all of your ways. You are higher than all of us. We could never ordain anything to be holy and true and just. Lord, we are so imperfect. And we are here because we are imperfect in need of a savior we praise you that this morning during this time of resurrection that we get to celebrate this this new birth lord we are a new creation through christ jesus who you have given to us as a gift lord thank you because lord there is no work that we could do that would be holy in your sight. Everything we do is, is filthy rags. But Lord, you told us we can come and rejoice in your work. And everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we can let our requests be made known to you and we can enjoy that peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. So, Lord, I thank you that you are our rock and our savior, our fortress, our comfort. And I pray this morning as we read and as we celebrate in communion with you, that we in our hearts 
would rejoice and have things in common. Resurrection morning and Psalm 22. But why Psalm 22? Psalm 22 is largely a psalm that speaks of the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. Of the, in fact, some of the very words that he spoke as he hung on the cross. In verse 1, you hear those words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And further on in the psalm, you hear the people dividing his garments among them, casting lots for his clothing. This is a psalm of suffering. So, that so why suffering on resurrection morning? May I submit to you that apart from Jesus' suffering and death, we know not the glory of the resurrection. Jesus had to die in order to conquer death, that we too might join him in that victory. So this morning, as I read to you Psalm 22, you'll hear that suffering, but remember that it is the suffering that preceded the triumph, the suffering that came before the great victory over death and the grave. This is God's word for you. Psalm 22. For there is no distinction. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and my mother from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. No bones are broken. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, do not be afar off. For you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard what he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. 
All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Well, what a great reading of Psalm 22, as again, we hear this amazing section of verses, again, reminding you that this is like hearing the 
recording of Christ, of what he felt on the cross. Not only that, but now I hope you saw, and your finger is on verse 19, 20, and 21, and there's a hinge right at the end of 21, and right when you get to 22, there's this great hinge, and that's why we're celebrating this morning the resurrection. In the suffering and death of Jesus Christ on Calvary, every obstacle that would prohibit a righteous God from forgiving his sinful people have been swept away. God demonstrated his righteousness by punishing the sins of his people, satisfying the demands of his justice, and appeasing his wrath. That's why we celebrated communion. That's why we celebrate the resurrection. That's why it's called the Lord's Day. It's literally the day of the Lord's resurrection. He made a way of salvation for us, his people, by standing in their place. He is the propitiation. He he stood in between to satisfy a holy and righteous and just God, to satisfy all of his demands. Not only did he satisfy his demand, but he made peace through Christ as he stood between, and now we can have fellowship with him. For this reason, God can justify his people with no contradiction to his own holiness and righteousness. Without the cross and Christ's suffering, there would be no victory, none. And right here in Psalm 22, right in between verses 21 and 22, there's this great shift. In this space is where we see the resurrection take place. And now we get to hear from Christ and what it is like after the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, what is life like? A thousand years before his death, burial, and resurrection, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God tells David to write this psalm. None of the things that happen in this psalm can be 100% attributed to David. There's things about it that don't even make sense in David's life, other than the suffering. It fits to a T to our Savior. Right in here, it doesn't, the psalmist doesn't give us black and white that, oh, he arose, but there's some indicators. The first one is at the very end of verse 21, uh, most scholars translate, you have heard or you have answered, right? Yeah, you have heard, you have answered. There's this sudden shift from, from being forsaken, being stricken, being uh, waiting for death, all of that, there's this sudden change to this confidence at the end of verse 21. And we see now God is answering. So we go from having no answer, being forsaken, having all of that suffering, that shame piled on our Savior, to all of a sudden now there's confidence. What happened? Well, we know what happened. He rose again. He conquered death. Because he is worthy. He is the worthy lamb of God. 
He is our Savior. The second thing is, is that in, found in verse 22, uh, he calls, he says, I will tell your name, talking about God, God's name to my brothers, which is an amazing thing because if you go back through the Gospels, he doesn't talk to his disciples and call them brothers. In fact, the first time that he calls them brothers is immediately after the resurrection. This in, in the morning, like we talked about with Mary and Magdalene, he's sitting there talking to Mary and says, go back and tell my brothers. Isn't that amazing? He had never called them brothers before. This idea of the word brotherhood here and in the Hebrew, it denotes family. Now, because of the resurrection, there's family. And it's amazing that as we look at this, without the cross, there is no glorious salvation through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the cross, without Christ's suffering, we wouldn't know how great this victory is, how complete it is. God doesn't do anything halfway. He is so magnificent magnificent, worthy of praise. So as we look at these results, I would just quickly want to run through them. Um, you can study them in your, in your groups. If, if you're not in a group, call one of the Zoom leaders, get on there, do the best you can, and um, we work as best we can through Zoom. But communicate and study this. But here are some things from verses 22 through the end of the chapter is as a result of God's glorious salvation through the death burial of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Christ. The first one is fellowship. Fellowship. He calls them brothers. And in fact, it's that idea of brotherhood is idea of family. It's the idea of, of having things in common. We've been adopted into the family of God. Read Ephesians chapter 4 and, and why we have unity. Have, focusing on the gospel, on what God has done for us through Jesus Christ our Lord brings unity. But not only that, but look at that. It says, I will tell of your name. It's speaking specifically to God's character and who he is. We can't neglect who God is. Part of fellowship is knowing who God is and being together and knowing who God is as a family. The second thing we see in verses 22 and 23 is praise. As a result of this glorious resurrection, uh, we now have something to praise and rejoice about. We should be jumping up and down. Hallelujah. Our sin has been taken care of. That righteous demand by a holy and amazing God has been met through Jesus Christ. We should praise him. He is risen. Why do we wait all year to do that? I mean, why don't we just go out down the street? Hallelujah, he is risen. It sure would get attention. And I understand some of you may not want that. But he is worthy 
of every and all attention. One day, every knee will bow. Why not tell everybody about him now? Why wait? Verse 24 goes on into this section, and it talks about this great and grand testimony that he is going to share this testimony that nothing has been hidden from God, that God has done exactly. There's, we can testify about God, that God is faithful, that he is just, that he is righteous, that he is right. Now we can testify to God's deliverance in raising Christ from the dead, testify that God is faithful, God is true, God is our rock, God is everything because of what he did through the resurrection. He did what no one else could ever do. There is no system known to man that could do what God did through the power of the resurrection. Testify. Fellowship with God. Know who God is. Praise God. Testify about God. And offer up worship, number four. Verses 25 through 26 is a unique set of verses that actually speak of a thank offering. It has the actual words of, of words that they would do for the actual thank offering that would be poured out and, and that would be given at the temple or the tabernacle. And so in these verses, we see a picture of this Hebrew thank offering, what the Jews would do. And when God answered his prayers, a worshiper would offer a thank offering at the temple. The poor would be invited and there would be a feast, a feast of great thanks to God. Not a feast of great food. We'll do that when we come back together and we worship together. We'll have a great harvest time as we gather everybody back and we'll worship God for his faithfulness and and doing what God intended to do during this time. But this is an offering of great thanks. This is worship. Telling God he is worthy. The worshiper would get uh, one another, get with one another, and they would quote, let our heart live forever. That's in verse 26. In the same way, we have a feast of thanksgiving. It's the Lord's Supper. It's communion. It's what we did already this morning. Where we gather to offer thanks and praise for God's gift to us in Christ. And that he delivered us from our sins through his death, burial, and resurrection. You see how amazing this resurrection is. Speaks of this offering worship. We should fellowship because of the resurrection, not distance ourselves. We should praise God, not be quiet. We should testify of all that God is doing, not sit on the sidelines. We should offer worship daily weekly. And lastly, we should proclaim the good news. There's great news. What are we doing not telling everybody that Christ is the resurrection? 
He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the peace that surpasses all understanding. He is the one that brings peace to our life. He is the one that provides joy no matter what the trials and sufferings may be. In fact, as we see, we see this idea of worldwide evangelism, the telling of the good news. The good news of the risen Savior will be proclaimed beyond the Jews. It says right here. Everything we need to understand Galatians is right here. (laughs) I could see Paul just, you know, getting so much out of this section. I can see Paul getting, where did Paul get his information for the book of Romans? Probably right here. This is a good section as you as we really study this to go through Romans. The good news of the risen Savior will be proclaimed beyond the Jews to all people. It'll be proclaimed to all people. And to the succeeding generations, there's, there is no good news if the Savior is dead. But there is salvation because he rose again. The message applies to the poor, to the rich alike, to all who acknowledge their sin before our righteous God. Fellowship, praise, testify about God. Offer worship of thanks to God. Proclaim his good news. Because of Christ's suffering on the cross for our salvation, we must proclaim this to everyone. There are two main applications I'd like to point out as we think about the point that we made earlier. I love what it says. You and you take
What? We look for the bottom line. What's the bottom line? What do we have in that account? Did we overdraw? Do we have more left? What is it do we have at the bottom? The bottom line is what Christ did on the cross, his resurrection. The bottom line is, is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the bottom line. The circumstances in the ledger, everything that has happened in your past, everything, uh, you know, how much money, how much things, how much people like you, all of the emotions, all of those things on your ledger don't matter. The bottom line is, is that God loved you enough to put all of your sin on our Savior. He's worthy. foundation. That's why God is our rock. He wants to put our heart for the lost at the bottom line of the law of God. He wants all the ends of the earth to turn to Him. It doesn't mean that all We don't save people. God saves people. But He wants something to remain strong in the days that we live. It's Lord, you are
This audio is made with Audio Toolkit for Windows Store, downloaded for free now.